Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. Coming to you from the Baseball America Podcast Nook. Control is your throwing strikes. Command is your hitting the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is stupid. This is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. If he was in the home run derby, I'd put him out of a decent chance of winning it against the big leaguers. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Hello and welcome to another Baseball America podcast. My name is Josh Norris. I'm an assistant editor here at Baseball America. And in Boston, we have Ben Badler, our international writer of great esteem. How you doing today, Ben? Oh, I'm terrific. Josh, how about you? I'm doing wonderful. It's uh, 70 degrees here in North Carolina for some reason after being in the 30s a few days ago, and it's going to go down into the 50s tomorrow, so the weather can't really decide what it's going to do. But enough about the weather. Let's talk about baseball. Um, we've been starting to do our our top 10s in various issues, and we started with the American League East a couple issues ago. And you know, I just want to know, for Ben, you know, from, from an outsider's view or an insider's view, from your view... Uh, tell me how you would stack up the AL East farm systems by their top 10. For me, I think it's when I look at the AL East, the one organization that stands out the most, and I think it's pretty clear, it's it's the Red Sox. If you're going to rank the organizations in terms of the strength of the farm system, I think the Red Sox have to be at the top. There's high ceiling talent. There's depth. And it's it's real depth, not just here. We have a bunch of guys who, if everything goes well, and you know they're they're going to end up to be decent utility players or relievers, and and they're all in a ball. Uh, this is a team that has guys who aren't even the top ten, like Wendell Rijo, who probably would be in a lot of different organizations, or Anderson Espinosa, who's a, a really exciting high ceiling international pitching prospect that they signed out of Venezuela this year. Uh, they have a lot of guys who are going to be in the top 100 this year. And then beyond them, they have a lot of guys who I could see being in a top 100 down the road in the future. Uh, and that's really the kind of depth that you want to have. So that combination of, of upside and depth and, and that depth of upside is what's really exciting to me. You know, you, you look at them just in their top 10 when you look at Manuel Margo at, at number seven. You know, the guy is a, a premium athlete, gold glove caliber defender in center field. He should be hitting at the top of the lineup. Uh, and you wonder, why is this guy number seven? It sounds like it's an insult. But when you look at the guys who are ahead of him, you know, most of those guys, if they don't have star potential, which a lot of them do, it's it's compensated for by the fact that they're, they're just on the cusp of the major leagues. So to me... The Red Sox are, are pretty clearly the, the class of the American League East in terms of the, the farm system. I do think the Blue Jays are pretty close behind them. To me, this is a, a top 10 farm system overall, uh, although it's, it's going to take a little longer to come up with our final rankings. But I really like what they've done in their minor league system. After that, it's I would go with the Yankees next. I would go with them over the Rays. I know everybody likes to take shots at the Yankees, and, and a lot of it is is deserved. They have not, in recent years, developed the the young talent and, and brought young talent to the big league team. 
But if you just look at what they have in the farm system right now, uh, granted, a good deal of that is still at the lower levels. I'm, I'm not saying it's a good farm system, but I, I don't think it's the worst farm system in the division. And I would take them uh, over the Rays. And then, uh, to me, the, the Orioles, ugh, I'm, <laughs> I'm not seeing too much in, in that farm system that I like. But I, I don't know how you see those organizations and, and how you would stack them up. I think that's just that's just absolutely correct. Number one with the bullet are the Red Sox because they are stacked from top to bottom. And that's even with Mookie Betts graduating. Number one in this issue is is Blake Swihart, the athletic switch hitting catcher who looks like he could be uh, a really, really good everyday regular with a pretty rare skill set for a catcher. And you throw in three premium left-handers in Henry Owens, Eduardo Rodriguez, Brian Johnson. You can argue for days on how you want to stack up that, that trio, but probably all of them are getting to the major leagues and are going to pitch in a rotation. You mentioned Margot. You've got a defensive wizard at shortstop and Devin Marrero, a pretty good hard-throwing starter or reliever type in Matt Barnes, uh, Raphael Devers, who's a, a lottery ticket. It looks like he's got two of those bells scratched off, and there might be a third bell behind that last scratch-off panel. And Rosny Castillo, your $72 million man, who looks like he's got plenty of potential behind him to do all sorts of five-tool things in center field. I mean, what more could you want in, out of that system? The Blue Jays obviously have have big names like Daniel Norris, who came on this year, had a little bit of elbow surgery late. You got Sean Reed Foley. You got Jeff Hoffman, who you'll see later what you get out of him after he comes back from Tommy John surgery. Max Pentecost, a, a good-looking catcher prospect. Uh, Aaron Sanchez, who destroyed out of the bullpen this year. Dalton Pompey comes up and hits a home run off of Felix Hernandez. It's yeah, it's a pretty decent way to break into the major leagues. Now, it's kind of interesting, based on what we had today, we have Hanley Ramirez, looks like he's done, signed, sealed, delivered, as uh, the newest uh, free agent for Boston. And Pablo Sandoval, if everything goes as rumored, there's still a few I's to be dotted and T's to be crossed, he could also join them. So you've got a stacked farm system, two guys who could play on the left side of the infield or the left side of the diamond, period, if any, everything goes wrong, uh, if something goes wrong. What do you do with that farm system? You could only, I mean... You can have the biggest payroll you want, but you still only can put nine guys on the field at a time. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I like both players. I like Hanley Ramirez. I like Pablo Sandoval. If the numbers that are out there are accurate in a vacuum, I like the value that those guys are going to bring. I think they're going to return pretty good value on that investment over the next four to, to five years. And I, I like signing one of them for the Red Sox. I don't know that I understand quite yet signing both of them in terms of how they're going to shake that all out. Uh, I kind of said the same thing, actually, when they signed Rusny Castillo. thought it was odd hearing them being linked to him as pretty much the favorite that I had to sign Castillo when the whole time I was thinking, not really sure how he fits into the picture for them. But it's... They seem to have amassed a, a pretty impressive group of position players, and then you look at their starting rotation, and there's nobody there right now that <laughs> I would feel comfortable counting on as a, even like a mid-rotation starter or better. Now, maybe they also bring in or bring back John Lester, or maybe they make a play for James Shields or, or even Max Scherzer. Um, it. I, I think there there has to be something else coming here with a trade to to upgrade their starting pitching. Who it's going to be, 
I'm not sure, uh, but it certainly seems like at this point, Yoannis Cespedes is a trade ship. I, I can't imagine trading, you know, Mookie Betts or, or Xander Bogarts. I, if I were the Red Sox, I would not want to trade either of those guys. To me, those are young, cheap, cost-controlled, potential franchise players. I know Bogart struggled this year, but both those guys are potential franchise elite impact guys. I would not want to trade either of those guys uh, for, a, for a starting pitcher, even if it is a guy who is a, more of an established front-of-the-rotation starter. So I'm very curious to see how it all shakes out, but I would have to imagine that they're going to have to upgrade the rotation somehow, probably going to dangle Cespedes out there. I think there's going to be a market for him, uh, but I'm not really sure how this is all going to shake out right now. So let's play a hypothetical game right now. You get to be Ben Sherrington here, and the Phillies are calling with Cole Hamels. The Nationals are calling with Jordan Zimmerman. The Mariners might be calling with Hisashi Iwakuma. Guys like that. Someone's calling with a starter for you, and they ask, let's, let's put together a package. Who's your one untouchable guy in your system? Uh, I mean, Bogarts and Betts. One. Those are the two guys I would not want to give up. But you got to pick Anybody one. else... Are you there? Yeah. Got to pick one guy though, out of those two, that you. That you uh, I pick both. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm Ben, I'm Ben Charrington, so I get to uh, I get to decide. You don't tell me what to do. Oh, so I'm Bud Selig. So unless you're I'm Rob Manfred. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so that's that's fair enough. I, I think if I'm in that situation, if I'm Ben Charrington, you get to be Bud Selig or Rob Manfred in this case. Uh, I might hinge on keeping bets rather than Bogerts. Because right now Bogerts has shown that there there are legitimate defensive questions about him at shortstop and you've got a shortstop coming up who probably not going to hit the, as as well as you'd think Bogerts is going to in Devin Marrero and then you just got a third baseman in Pablo Sandoval. So he might be expendable parts. But Mookie Betts has come up and shown he can play defense at both in both center field and right field and he's hit Granted, it's a really small sample, but and I'm a known Mookie lover, but I, that guy looks like he's the real deal. I don't know if I part with him for too many other guys in the major leagues. So with that with that in mind, um, we can move on to to the Blue Jays uh, or you know, the Blue Jays system. We got number two. Who's your pick to click in that system? Um, you know, just what I like about that system is. I just really love the young Latin American talent that they have, especially at the lower levels. Um, you know, Franklin Barreto, we ranked him the the number one prospect for July 2nd a couple of years ago when he signed. And, you know, like he's short, he's, he's not a physical projection guy, but he just he hits, he hits, he hits everywhere he goes. Uh, he hits against pitchers who are more experienced than he is. Uh, and it's not just a bat because there's, there's speed there too. Uh, not a shortstop, I, I'd say he has... Uh, I can't say 0%, but we'll call it like a 3% chance maybe uh, to play shortstop. But, you know, I'd, I'd put him at second base. Uh, you could put him in center field. He can play a premium position somewhere in the middle of the diamonds. Uh, then you have guys like Richard Urena uh, who can play shortstop and, and is a good hitter too. And, and Miguel Castro who has tremendous arm speed and, and a huge fastball. So, uh, you know, look, odds are that maybe one of those guys works out and, and the other two don't. But uh, it's a pretty exciting wave of talent to have at the, the lower levels. 
I, I think yeah, I think you, you nailed it there. I might go with you got a couple wild cards in this uh, in this top ten, and that's Aaron Sanchez and Jeff Hoffman. We saw what Sanchez can do out of the bullpen, and it was disgusting in Toronto. A ground ball machine, uh, uh, absolute ground ball machine in the major leagues. Struck out 27 against nine walks, 14 hits in 33 innings. He was a real shutdown factor uh, at the end of games. Now, if you can correct his delivery uh, and get him to the point where he can do something similar to that, certainly not those numbers because he'd be the Cy Young winner every year, to uh, in, in the rotation, then that guy is obviously a high-impact guy and you've, you've hit the lottery again. And same deal with Jeff Hoffman. You haven't gotten to see him pitch yet uh, because he had the Tommy John surgery. But what he'll bring to the system could be really, really high impact. So it's, there's a lot of guys who could be really, really good at the top uh, of their farm system. Let's let's keep moving with the with the Yankees. What do you like about their system? Um, it's the Yankee system is all right. It's um, I mean, you wrote up the organization, and um, you know, I'm not saying it's a great farm system. But it's not the worst in the division, um, and I don't think it's the second worst in the division either. Um, I do think that they've struggled to develop young talent in all areas of the game with, with pitchers regressing and, and a lack of uh, young position players who can help at the major league level. Uh, but I think the, the system is better than it gets credit for. There's a lot of good young Latin American talent bubbling up, uh, obviously led by Luis Severino at the top uh who, who I like a lot, but uh, obviously for you writing up that system, what did you think of it? I thought Severino was number one with a bullet in that system. People who, who talk about him, I had two people who saw him, who wrote him up, even though they weren't covering that that team, whichever team he was with that day. Uh, they were covering the other side, and they had enough to call me and say, wow, this guy, this guy needs to be really high in your system. And this was in, like, June. So... You know, they, they like him a lot. A lot of guys put a number atop of the rotation kind of future on him. He's got a big, big fastball up to 99 miles an hour this year, a changeup that some guys rate as a 70 already, and a slider that projects as about average. So that's a three-pitch mix that, of really good stuff. Um, the only questions about him are the tired old, okay, he's six foot, he's right-handed, he's a reliever. Well, I don't think it necessarily works that way all the time. I think there are guys who disprove that. Uh, we've got Marcus Stroman is not six foot. People bring up, you know, Greg Maddox, obviously different kind of arsenal. Tim Hudson, another guy. Obviously, people throw around Pedro Martinez on uh, on Severino, even though he doesn't have nearly the hair Pedro Martinez did. So you don't have to be six four to uh, to succeed at the front of a rotation, and I think that's been shown in a couple of cases. Aaron Judge looks like a monster with with power. The the thing about him is. He needs to be. He needs to learn how to activate his hit tool a little more, which will unlock even more of his power. People think this is a true, big hairy monster in right field, like the Yankees used to be known for. Um, I think one comp I got on him was Jay Buhner, if everything clicks, and that might be really nice. And you've got uh, Greg Bird uh, at number four, who showed really, really well in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's not going to be much of. A, he's not an athlete, but. He can hit. He's got a really smooth, pretty swing from the left side, and he can hit to all fields with uh, a pretty good amount of power. And then at number three, I put Jorge, Jorge Mateo, who people loved for his five-tool potential at shortstop. So we'll see what he gets. He's had pretty uh, crippling, not crippling, just serious injuries in a couple years to his hands and wrists, just fluky things. 
So we'll get a chance to see what he can do on a full season or a, a complete season this year, hopefully, at one of the Yankees' many, many short season affiliates, be it GCL1, GCL2, the newly added Pulaski Yankees in the Appy League, or uh, short season Staten Island. So they've got a pretty good bunch of guys up top. So with that in mind, what did you think about the, the Ray system? I know you thought it was light at the top, but uh, obviously they've got our number one guy from our top 30 international prospects, Adrian Rondon. You have to like him a little, right? Yeah, I like uh, I like Adrian Rondon a lot, the Dominican shortstop they signed this year, but it's it's not a good sign when a 16-year-old is one of your top five prospects. It's it's not a good farm system. It's, it's getting better uh, with some of the trades they made, but they just haven't drafted well. The 2011 drafts when they had... Uh, I believe it was 12 of the top 100 draft picks that year. It's it's just really been a disaster for them. And perhaps Taylor Guerrero can turn things around, but there is a lot of dead weight coming out of that draft. So you know some of the trades that they've made for you know a guy like Willie Adames has has helped. Uh, certainly the top of that farm system and and trading Jeremy Hellickson to the Diamondbacks to get Andrew Velasquez, a, a low A middle infielder who I I like, and Justin Williams, an outfielder who's uh, also in the lower levels, helps the system a little bit, but uh, it's definitely a farm system on the downswing right now. Yeah, and you've got guys with, with interesting um, attributes. Justin O'Connor has a true 80 arm behind the plate. He's one of the best defensive catchers in the minors, period. Mikey Matuk had a pretty good year from that 2011 draft here at uh, Durham this year. And you got at eight, you got Brent Honeywell, who one of the few guys, it might be the only guy in the minor leagues, who brings a true screwball into the mix which was really fun to watch this year when uh, Princeton came into Burlington and he just ate up a lot of the really young Burlington hitters with the screwball, which I can't imagine they've ever seen anywhere at any level of baseball before. So they had no idea what the ball was doing or why it was doing what it was doing. We'll see how that plays as he goes up the ladder, but he also had a, had a big fastball in the in the mid-90s, and he's got a couple other pitches too that you know make him more than just a trick pitch gimmick guy. And with that in mind, we'll move on to the last farm system in this division, and that is the Orioles. We obviously aren't real high on the Orioles, but that said, they've got two of the more high-ceiling arms at the top of their system in the entire division. Would you not agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's they got a couple of guys at the top, uh, but for the most part, I don't really like their farm system at all, uh, which is fine. Uh, you know, the goal is obviously to win games at the major league level, and, and they did. And the organization had a tremendous year as a whole. And, and they have young talent in the majors, obviously, uh, Manny Machado, Kevin Gossman, uh, Zach Britton. Uh, so they, they have their best players under control for several more seasons. Uh, Tillman, Chen, Jones, Hardy, Weeters for, uh, for another couple of seasons. So they're going to be fine. But just on the farm in the minor leagues right now, uh, in terms of the present prospects, it's it's pretty boring. <laughs> uh, you know, you have Dylan Bundy and, and Hunter Harvey are, are really good pitching prospects when they're healthy, but but that's a big if uh, when we're talking about pitchers and, and those pitchers in particular. Uh, so by the time you get to number five, like Dario Alvarez, you know, to me, that's just kind of like a, you know, you know, ordinary triple A player. Uh, it's, you know, I, I don't think they're in any danger for for falling off the map in, in the next couple of years at the big league level but uh because they do have young talent in the big leagues and and it's and it's con under team control but 
uh, the farm system right now, it's 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 not very good. Yeah, I mean, you're right on Dylan Bundy and Hunter Harvey, both of whom, obviously Dylan Bundy had the Tommy John surgery, and Hunter Harvey came down with a bulky elbow at the end of the year. But both those guys, if they get back to their their you know, 100% health, those guys, if they're healthy, could jump this farm system at least back up to respectability again. And you, you mentioned it's, it's about winning the, the games at the big league level. And you're right, and they've got a good core of young stars, uh, and Dan Duquette and his guys have done a really good job getting pickups to help them along the way. Steve Pierce was excellent when Chris Davis was sputtering slash suspended. Uh, a couple of years ago, they got Miguel Gonzalez out of nowhere, and he turned into a, a John Manuel word here, a cromulent starter in the big leagues. And so they've, they've done a really good job piecing it together and you know, winning the AL East or contending for the AL East every year. So it's not a great system, but if they're winning at the big league level, I don't think anybody's going to notice in uh, in Charm City or really care as long as they keep, you know, packing Camden Yards and winning every night. Now, you are our international writer. Obviously, I think given your Twitter followers, everybody who's listening to this podcast knows you are international writer and knows you are the international writer of the highest acclaim in the baseball world. So there's a few things going on with Cuba right now, would you say? There's a few free agents of note who are uh, about to find a, a new home. What are, the, uh, what are the situation updates with Yasmani Tomas right now and Yohan Moncada? Yeah, Tomas, is a, he's a free agent. He has his OFAC license, so he's able to sign at any time. Um, I think you look at his market, there's, I think there's teams that have a need at corner outfield and, and some of them would probably prefer a a guy who's a little bit less risky. I mean if you compare Tomas to some of the other guys who've who've come out, I think his his swing and miss tendencies and the pitch recognition are question marks for scouts. And the last time that they saw him prior to him leaving Cuba, at least in person was in 2013, last summer, when the Cuba brought not really not really their national team, but they brought a, a team of guys. Ulyeski Guriel was there, uh, Tomas was there, Norhe Ruiz was there, and then mostly a bunch of other you know fringy-ish guys who are you know solid players in Cuba but aren't really prospects. Were there too. Uh, Rysel Iglesias was also there, but you know Tomas faced the the U.S. College National Team, and he saw a lot of something that he didn't see much of in Cuba, and that is premium velocity. You know these guys are you know they're college pitchers, but they're thrown in the mid 90s or or even higher, and Tomas had a lot of trouble handling those handling those pitchers. So. Uh, whether it was the the big time fastball or chasing uh, breaking pitches out of the zone or just swinging and missing in the strike zone, uh, he did not have a good look at that tournament or that uh, that friendship series. So I think that that being the last look that scouts had of him before he left Cuba, um, other than possibly seeing video of him playing Cuba, uh, which obviously we have and, and we've shared uh, some of that. In our our highlight video of Yasmani Tomas, you could see, you know, certainly he had he had gained weight there, and and it reflects in 
the, the numbers that he put up in his final season in Cuba, which were not that great. It definitely was a, a down year for him. Uh, but then you go back a, a couple of years and you see what he did in Cuba uh, the, the couple of seasons before that and what he did at the World Baseball Classic uh, where he looked like a, a much, much better player, uh, not at a, a level of a Jorge Soler. I, I think Soler is uh, certainly the better all-around player compared to Tomas, but um, but I think that there's uh, there's going to be interest in Tomas, and I think he's gotten himself into better shape uh, since he since he left Cuba. Uh, so I think there is going to be interest in Tomas from from some teams, but there's there's also a lot of risk there that I think there's some teams that are hesitant to to really open the wallet for him right now. So with that in mind, you the last time we wrote about him, you had the Phillies as the favorites. So are they still the favorites? And if not, who is going to open the wallet for him? Yeah, I think the Phillies are still the favorites right now. You look at the players that they've signed. Uh, typically, you know, he fits that profile for them. Uh, the power battle with maybe the, the bit of a questionable approach, especially on the international side, uh, they've gone for that. Not not universally. There's, you know, they, they've gone for some different type of guys, but uh, they do have a track record of, of going for that with their, uh, certainly with their international scouts and then on the draft side as well. So uh, I think he fits he fits what they, they look for uh, from an organization standpoint. In terms of fit, I think he makes sense for them because they're not planning to contend next year, and even 2016 might be a bit dicey. But if you sign him, you're signing a guy who's going into his uh, age 24 season. So if, if you believe in him and, and you think he is a, a you know, a good major league player who can play every day and, and potentially be an above-average everyday player, uh, then this is a guy that, that makes a lot of sense for them. They, they need a lot of help in the outfields. Uh, there's not much help coming through the farm system. Uh, yeah, I love J.P. Crawford. I think Michael Franco can help him at third base. But um, in the outfield, there's, there's not much there. So I, I could see them going for him. Uh, you know, the other team to watch for right now, I think, is the Giants. If you know, if it sounds like Pablo Sandoval is leaving and going to Boston, uh, there's a there's a hole in the middle of their lineup right now. Uh, it's still a good team, but uh, this is a team that could potentially sign Tomas, put him in left field, and try to compensate for some of the offense that they've lost from Sandoval by putting Tomas in left. One other possibility that's popped up on the internet um, is is the Braves now. If they could do that, they've had, obviously, they have Upton and Upton and maybe Gaddis in left field. If they, you know, open their wallets and sign Tomas, you would think that would expedite the rumors of uh, a Justin Upton being dealt somewhere. I think were, the latest rumors were to the Rangers. Is that a fit? Um, for Tomas to the Braves? Sure. Uh, potentially. I mean... I think there's a lot of rumors that just sort of spin out of control in the international market. I would be, uh, I wouldn't rule out them signing him, but I don't view them right now as as one of the favorites for him. Um, but then we're going to move on to the other the other Cuban who's drawing a lot more intrigue and might draw a lot more money. Yoan uh, Moncada, what's the update on him? Yeah, he had his uh, he had his first open showcase in Guatemala. Pretty much everybody was there. 
and don't know that there was too much new to see there because anybody who's you know who's followed this guy since he was 16 years old knows that this guy is or or was I should say the top young player in Cuba. Uh, it, was, it was him. Uh, you've got Victor Mesa or, or Victor Mesa Jr. Uh, or Victor Victor as as he's known. Those are really the top two young players in Cuba. And uh, as much as I like Victor Mesa, there's you know there's still some things that he has to do with the the bat to to make the right adjustments. Uh, that Moncada is much more certain of. Uh, there's a lot more certainty in his offense. Uh, and you look at the the overall tool set. This is a guy who has you know, at least plus speed, uh, at least a plus arm, can play pretty much anywhere in the field other than, you know, most likely not a shortstop. He's, he's really not comfortable there. You're probably looking at a third baseman or a second baseman, although potentially you could put him in, in center field. Uh, he does have a little bit of experience there too, or, or maybe even a corner outfield position because it sounds like from the bat he has, his track record of hitting, the way his swing works, uh, especially from the left side, he's a switch hitter, but, but much better left-handed. Uh, and the power that he brings sounds like the bat is going to be enough to to play at any position. So yeah, there's you know there's certainly risk, uh, especially just being a, a 19 year old kid. Uh, he's who's probably going to go to a, a class A level. Uh, there's certainly that risk involved there. You're not signing a ready made big leaguer, but the upside that he brings is uh, you know if he was in the draft, like I've said before, he'd probably be the number one overall pick. So you're talking about that caliber of talent who could play, play pretty much anywhere on the diamond almost. That's going to draw a lot of interest from pretty much everybody. So the one problem with Moncada is that he still needs to be unlocked by OFAC. Is that correct, Ben? Yeah, my understanding is he does not yet have his OFAC. What you need is you need to have a specific unblocking license from the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Uh, there's a general unblocking license, which you can have, uh, which is not a written document, which as long as you have permanent residency or, or present two residents, excuse me, present two documents of permanent residents from another country uh, outside of Cuba, then you have that general license and you qualify for that. But Major League Baseball, which used to be okay with that a couple of years ago, changed the rules and now requires you to get this specific license from OFAC, which is a written document uh, and does create more of a, a bureaucratic hurdle for these guys to go through. So we've got Moncada, we've got Tomas. What are the more, what are the other intriguing names that are either just left Cuba or are going to leave Cuba at some point if they have their druthers? Yeah, Tomas and Moncada, they seem to be getting the most public attention right now, and that's for good reason. Obviously, Tomas is a free agent. He can sign any time, and Moncada is, is on the cusp. He's, he's really the best young player to come out of Cuba since uh, Jorge Soler. Um, but Hector Oliveira, this guy, when he was healthy, he was a star in Cuba. Uh, he was the second baseman on the national team. The guy had size. He could hit. Uh, he had power. He could run, although he didn't run so much as his last couple of years in Cuba. Uh, you know, you're talking about a guy who can play in, in the middle of the diamond, potentially third base, because it sounds like he's he's got a pretty good arm too. Uh, bat speed. This guy had a, a lot of tools that you look for uh, in a major league second baseman, and there's not too many guys who had his skill set when he was healthy and. 
that last qualifier is pretty enormous because when he was the uh, was really a few years ago because he came down with uh, this really unusual uh, blood disorder that knocked him off the field. He wasn't playing in Cuba. He wasn't playing in any international tournaments. Uh, he did come back this past season and play in Cuba. And his, his offensive numbers were, were pretty solid there, uh, but he was mostly DHing. He didn't play much second base. So scouts haven't been able to put eyeballs on him in person too recently, uh, which really complicates his status. But it, it's hard to know quite what to make of him. But to me, he's really the most fascinating out of all these guys because of how much uncertainty there is around them. I mean, if, if I'm going to rank those you know, those three guys, Moncada, uh, Tomas, and Oliveira, I would probably put Moncada, I would put Moncada first, and I would probably put Oliveira ahead of Tomas. Granted, again, the uncertainty level is, is so significant with Oliveira uh, just because you don't know quite what his current status is in terms of uh, his health or, or even some of the, the physical tools right now. Uh, but based on what he was showing when he was healthy, uh, I would put him ahead of uh, Yasmani Tomas. Okay, well, you know, it's been a good podcast. It's good to get this one under our belts after such a long time away. Uh, thank you very much, Ben, for joining us today. And thank you very much, listeners, for the download and the listen. Happy holidays to everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.